Today's episode is brought to you by Schiffercraft, an imprint of Schiffer Publishing. Schiffercraft's books provide expert knowledge and inspiration on topics ranging from ceramics to fiber and textiles, floral design, glass art, woodworking, metal craft, leather, and more. Follow Schiffercraft on Facebook and Instagram to unlock your inspiration. Thank you so much, Schiffercraft. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 215 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about yarn bombing with my guest, London Kay. Born in Los Angeles, California, London received her BFA in dance from New York University's Tisch School of the Arts. After graduating, London realized that her love for crochet and unexpected joy came together harmoniously when she began using crochet to interact with the environment and surrounding community. She began installing art daily on the streets of Brooklyn and New York City. Through her time leading workshops and teaching crochet, London came to realize the best qualities of her favorite crochet hooks and combined them together using 3D printing technology to create a unique new style, crochet hook with a twist. She received a patent for the design. London's career has expanded to collaborating with brands like Starbucks, The Gap, Disney, and The Kelly Clarkson Show. Her book is out now, Crochet with London K. London K, welcome. Hello, hello. Hi. So good to have you. I'm very excited to talk to you. You've got such a cool career and it's developed so much over the last couple of years. So I'm very excited to dig into all of that. But I know you grew up in California and your mom had a dance studio, it sounds like. So you were a dancer early on. I was. I started dancing at such a young age. My mom was a dance teacher. And just right from the start, it was something that really gave me a lot of discipline. I did it every day after school. And that's actually when I started crocheting because we would do the Nutcracker every year. And I would crochet scarves for the different uh, acts. Like the Candy King dance would get a red and white scarf or the Sugar Plum Fairy would get a purple scarf. So I started crocheting really early on, but dancing still holds a special place in my heart. So was this ballet or a different type of dance? It was mainly ballet. I did everything. But then as I got older, um, I went to college for ballet. I got a full scholarship and I knew I didn't want to be a professional dancer, but it was something that I did so, so much. I was like, what a better way to go to school, get to see kind of what that would be like to be a professional dancer, but realized it wasn't for me. So um, it sounds, though, that like performance was something that you had a lot of early experience with. Definitely. I mean, getting up on stage and having to do a routine and and smile and be there and perform um, is still something that I think is a really good skill to have, even though I get nervous right now. I'm even holding like a little ball of yarn as a stress ball, Um, you know, that act of getting up there and putting yourself out there in an unconventional way um, was a really good skill to be forced to do so often. And when you did learn to crochet um, as a young teenager, who taught you? One of my best friend's mom taught me to crochet with a few friends on a whim. Um, I was 13 years old. I learned with a really big crochet hook and um, I, I just made scarves. I was a really active kid being a dancer. I also did gymnastics and crocheting for some reason was the one thing that kept me kind of allowing me to process one thought at a time and sitting in one place for longer than a few minutes. And were you making kind of more complicated crochet items or was it just single crochet scarves pretty much? It was all single crochet scarves. Uh, still to this day, single crochet all the way. Um, I, I just loved how I don't know, it was a way to just be very meditative with it. One stitch repeating over and over again, um, for some reason, really piqued my interest. And you have a sister, is that right? Oh, my gosh. My sister is my best friend. She's amazing. Uh, She's two years younger than me. She 
she learned to crochet the same day as me, um, but but didn't quite pick, keep with it as I did. And she's a performer too. Oh my gosh, she's a stand-up comedian, and um, she, I'm her biggest fan. I go to practically every one of her shows. Um, she's on tour with an amazing comedian right now, Christina P., and actually just opened for her Netflix special. So yeah, that's I'm amazing. so proud of her. Yeah. 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 And your given name is London and hers, she also has kind of a, I guess what I would call like an androgynous name. Like you wouldn't know from seeing your first name, it, you know, what gender you were. Yeah. Her name is Chase, like the bank. Um, and I still haven't. So I've met a few Londons through my life. I have never, and I've met some Chases, but I've never met a girl named Chase. Um, so she definitely, we both have unique names. Yeah, yeah, totally cool. Um, okay, so you learned how to crochet when you were 13 and started kind of selling what you were making beyond giving them to the other dancers, you know, according to the parts that they had in the Nutcracker. You also started selling the items to people. Was that at school or where was that that you were selling? And, and tell us about that part. I started selling them at school. I would come to school with like, I had a little sample book and I, I put all the little yarn that I had on uh, note cards and people would pick what combination of um, yarn they wanted for their scarves. I called it spectacular scarves. Love it. And um, <laughs> yeah. And when I was in ninth grade, um, I actually ended up breaking my back from dancing so much. Oh my I gosh. would do gymnastics. I know. I would do gymnastics on the dance floor and um, over time, just like the pounding. Um, yeah, it, it caused a terrible injury and I had to stop dancing for a whole year. And that's really when crochet became so important to me. Um, and I really started my business at that time um, because it was a way for me to stay connected to my community. I w would sell scarves um, to like the local dance shop and different boutiques in the area um, and then, of course, to friends and, and family. And I sold so many scarves by 16. I actually bought my first car with scarf money. So it was definitely the crochet hustle. Yeah. On. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. And so you did start dancing again, it sounds like. And actually, as you mentioned earlier, went to Tisch at NYU on a dance scholarship. And um, while you were there, did you continue to crochet or some people kind of, you know, this sort of craft goes on the back burner for a few years and then they rediscover it. Is that your story? That's definitely what happened. When I was at, at college, I was just full on college student. Um, but growing up in LA and then getting to go to New York City, one of the things when I was in college that just like completely blew my mind was all the street art I would see in New York. Every day it would change and um, I just thought it was so fun. And I had this idea of, of adding my own, my own project to the street. And I would actually make little cards with stamps that said to brighten your day with positive quotes on the back. And I would hide them in parking meters or ATMs. And so I wasn't crocheting, but I was still kind of like trying to do something different and unique while I was there. But the crochet hook, unfortunately, was stuffed under my bed uh, while I was at school. So did you end up majoring in dance or did when and it sounds like you realized you didn't really want to be a professional dancer, but did you go through with the major or did you change? I, I went through with the major. Um, I loved it. So many great friends came from that time. And um, being in such a big city, it was really nice to have um, it was a smaller department. So to have that small knit group um, of people there to kind of go through that process was a wonderful way to kind of start my journey in New York. Right, right. Okay. Um, but then after graduation, you started working at the Apple store. I sure did. <laughs> it always strikes me as like a cool place to work at the Apple store. It's like such a, I don't know, it's a very designy environment. And, um, you know, it's like you go there, it's an experience, I guess. Oh, it was, I absolutely loved the job. I have always been such an Apple fan. Um, and so working there and dealing with, we were, um, the store was in New York. It was on 14th Street and 9th Avenue. And it was one of their flagship stores. So we got people from all over the world. It was busy all day. And just like getting to learn customer service and how to interact with different personalities, different people. 
um, was really exciting to me. And also the technology changed every day. They had these things called daily downloads and they were about 30 minutes where they would update you on what's new in the tech world. And when I started there, I was like, this can't happen every day. Every single day we would learn completely new things. And um, it was just a very exciting job. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And, and somebody came into the store, because of course, you're in New York. So as you said, all kinds of people go to the Apple store in New York City, I'm sure. Um, and somebody came into your store, who was a crochet artist, actually a yarn bombing artist, really. Yeah, so it was kind of about two years in when I'd been working there. And I I was getting a little like, okay, maybe this isn't what I want to do with my life. And I decided to start making lists of all the things I just love to do. And crocheting was always at the top of the list. Like, at this point, I had picked up the crochet hook again, I, of course, had my small stash of yarn where I would make things for fun on the side, but it was still just like scarves, pretty much. Um, So kind of like, dabbling in this exploration of trying to figure out what I want for my life. It was almost like when this artist came in, her name is Oleg, and I never heard of her at the time, but she is this incredible fiber artist from Poland, and she was wearing head-to-toe crochet, and it was really late at night, and I sold her a computer right before we closed, and immediately after the store closed, I hopped on a computer and Googled her name, and through the search results, I'd, I'd never seen it before, but I discovered yarn bombing. And um, yarn bombing is when you take a piece of knit or crochet fabric. And at that time, it was really just wrapping it around things, wrapping it around trees, wrapping fire hydrants. And immediately, I was like, I have to try this. And the very next morning, I grabbed a scarf I had made and wrapped it around a tree outside of my house in uh, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, thinking like, okay, it'll stay up maybe for a little while, it'll get dirty, someone will rip it, it won't look good by the time I get home that night. And it was perfect. And it stayed up. And within like the first week of it being up, a, um, a lady on my block, she stopped me and she's like, me and my granddaughter stop at your tree every day. And it makes our morning. And I was like, I've got to do more. <laughs> so it got that like positive feedback. It was surprising. And this was a while back. I mean, yarn bombing, I feel like is a little bit more mainstream and sort of understood, at least among some people now, but, you know, maybe not so much then. And it was even more unusual to see, a, you know, a scarf wrapped around a public object like a tree or a bench or something like that. So um, so, okay, so you got this sort of cool vibe from it. And, um, and then how did you take it to the next level? Like, what was the next step to sort of really develop an idea of like, what your yarn bombing practice might look like? Well, because of this whole like journey of figuring out my true life passion, I had watched a TED talk on you know, if, if you want, if you really like something or want to make this a part of your life, um, if you do it for 30 days, um, by the end of that 30 days, it becomes almost like a habit or something. And I was like, okay, if I really love this, I'm going to give myself a challenge to yarn bomb every day for 30 days. And it was like 2013 at the time, Instagram was very early then too. And I decided to make an Instagram account And every day I would post a photo of whatever I made. And that was a really wonderful challenge for this. I did it. I did it for not 30 days. I ended up going for 50 days. And over those 50 days, it went from a lot of wrapping things to then finally, like I was never really taught to crochet. It went to like learning how to crochet a heart, learning how to make a person, learning how to like combine different shapes together Um, to create more pictures. And um, it was a really wonderful way to just organically figure out my own style. Because really, like you said, nobody was really doing this at the time. So I couldn't just like, pull up what other people had done and try to, you know, do my own version of that. I was really coming at it from a very organic place. Right. And as you said, like, you know, you, you kind of taught yourself mostly to crochet and you're doing single crochet, it sounds like, for most of this. Did you ever try doing, you know, some? there's, there's some complicated crochet, crochet stitches out there. Did you try doing that or was it really not, you weren't necessarily interested in, 
you know, learning how to make baubles or cables or, or anything like that. And, and instead really focusing on just like pictures. I, I still have not learned how to make a bobble or a cable. <laughs> um, but no, it was really, I thought of it more like uh, painting with yarn almost like okay. a few stitches this way, a few stitches that way and um, making more shapes than um, complex uh, crochet. Crochet, right, right, right. Okay, exactly. And so um, I, I definitely think that this idea of doing a challenge like that where you force yourself to make something and post it every day and that you've got a little bit of accountability there. It's so helpful for developing skills of any kind and then sharing it publicly on Instagram. So did anything cool happen as a result of these efforts of these 50 projects that you created? Yeah. Um, from the, in, within that kind of time, I actually, coincidentally wrapped a tree in front of this uh, fashion uh, house and they ended up having me make some crochet accessories for a show in New York Fashion Week. So that was really exciting. Because um, you were putting like your, a, you were putting your, your business card on these. So they, they, that's how they found you. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I would put a tag with my, at that time, it was just like my website and my Instagram handle. Um, I always had a website. My dad was very like, you need to have a website. And I don't even know what was on it at the time. But um, I did have one. Um, so people could reach out to me through like the the comment form. Um, and then my Instagram and yeah, they ended up reaching out and I made some very cool accessories. Um, and that was my first kind of like taste at a job crocheting, which right. was very cool to happen so early on. And you were still working at the Apple store through all of that period. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Full time. Full time. <laughs> okay. All right. Before work, after work, lunch breaks. Right. Yeah. Right. Yarn bombing. And then yarn bombing, right, as a, as a hobby on the side. Okay. So after that first like accessories commission, um, did things kind of ramp up or was there like, did you re- do any reaching out or were people just reaching out to you? I I didn't do any reaching out. Um, I continued yarn bombing and like little positive things would happen that would keep me going. But I think it was maybe like six months after that, still full time doing my job, which was really nice because I didn't, you know, feel like I needed to support myself crochet. And I didn't even dream of that. But about six months after this really amazing like home and furniture store in New York called ABC Carpet and Home, um, they a buyer there had seen a snowflake I made on the street and they were doing a window display based off of like plant cells. And so they commissioned me to make a few huge dream catchers for their windows um, and then that they would also sell those in the store. And I brought them in and um, they were like, okay, we're going to price these for you. And the the price that they wanted to sell these for was more than I made in two weeks working at Apple. And that was the very first time like the light bulb went off like, okay, maybe this could be a job um, down the line. It was just like a nice eye-opening experience. Like, huh, I could unconventionally crochet things that I never thought of and and sell them or support myself doing that, but still went, you know, stuck with my job. But that was a good, a good other kind of peek into what it could be. So was it like a $1,000 or something like that for one plant cell or? Yeah, I think, I think they bought maybe like six of them and they were selling them for the retail was like something like $1,200. They were really big. Um, And I used like the specialty yarns and all of that. But still getting like the the wholesale price of it, I was like, oh my gosh, right. this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of gave you a taste of like, hmm, this could be something cool. I want to take a moment now to talk about our sponsor, Shiffer Craft. Shiffer Craft is currently celebrating their second year as an independent imprint of Shiffer Publishing who has been a leading publisher in the craft industry for five decades. Schiffer Craft's mission is to build the knowledge base for craft communities, large and small, while inspiring creativity in support of the craft community in all that they do. 
by partnering with renowned artists, craftspeople, makers, authors, and organizations. They've built a legacy of providing expert knowledge and inspirational books to the industry. Whether someone is a beginner or an expert, their books spark new directions in making. Their titles range in topic from ceramics, fiber, and textiles, floral design, glass art, woodworking, metal craft, jewelry, leather, painting, and more. Along with crafting high-quality books, Schifferkraft partners with groups, museums, craft schools, and businesses to help extend their mission in craft, including organizations like the Barnes Foundation, the Center for Art in Wood, Quilts of Valor, Harrisville Designs, the Fine Arts Museum of San Francisco, Mackenzie Childs, the Morse Museum of American Art, Fiber Art Now, and more. Just like you, Schifferkraft are makers who believe that our lives are made more meaningful by integrating creativity into daily lives. Whether you're just getting started, comfortable in your craft, or an expert, Schifferkraft wants to be there for you on your journey and they look forward to supporting you along the way. Visit their website, www.shiffercraft.com, and click on Submit a Proposal to see what magic you can make together and provide to the industry. Thank you so much, Shiffercraft. And now, back to my conversation with London. So cool. And you've done so many incredible collaborations and installations um, since then. So I guess um, talk a little bit about the ones that led up to your ability to actually leave your job at Apple and just be a yarn bomber full time. Yeah, I was so I was full time working there. And then at at one point, I was able about a year after I started, I went part time. um, And I got a job working for Starbucks doing uh, just a crochet yarn bombs on a store that was about to open in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. They wanted to kind of bring the first ever Starbucks there um, in a very clever way to make it feel more part of the community. So on the construction fence out front every week, they would have me add a different yarn bomb um, to the fence until the store opened. And that was a very fun job. Um, And then I did a commercial for delivery.com where I had to crochet like entire crocheted suits um, for people to wear. And this was a huge push because like, yeah, that's hard. (laughs) And so to be able to figure out how to make uh, (laughs) something that fit humans um, was a big challenge. But of course, with any of these jobs, like I people reach out and I just say yes, and then I figure it out. So um, figured that one out and another job, um, early on I crocheted, it was like these little characters for a stop motion film, um, for Isaac Mizrahi was, uh, coming out with a new brand of yarn at the time. So for their promotion, I did some stop motion, um, crochet characters, which was really exciting. Um, and it wasn't until though, so it was like, one year went part time. And then that second year, what finally got me to quit my job, um, I got to do a crocheted billboard for Miller Lite in Times Square. And it was 50 feet by 25 feet in size. Um, It was the first time that I ever really had to wrangle other crocheters together and got to actually pay people to help me crochet um, to make the, this come to life because with a lot of these, uh, commercial jobs, it's really fast turnarounds, um, which I think my 30 day challenge, like really helped with that. Cause I, you know, I got really good at making things quickly right from the start, but being able to crochet that billboard, um, finally gave me kind of the safety net of being like, okay, let me jump. Let me quit. I gave myself every excuse in the book. Like I need health insurance. I need you know, I want the discounts off computers. And I was like, okay, okay, you can do it on your own now, start your own, uh, own thing. And um, that was at the end, very end of 2015. And I've been crocheting full time ever since. And so for that Miller Lite one, um, you have some uh, TikTok that shows it in construction. Yeah. And, um, and so and it, it's really cool. And I wondered if you could talk about like the process, 
you know, when a commercial client like that, I'm sure probably somebody from their headquarters or whatever must have seen your work somewhere else in New York and, and like, you know, contacted you. But um, do you, you know, do they, in, in that case, I guess, particularly, did, did they say, okay, this is the image, make this, but in crochet? Or were they like, okay, London, you're the artist, you figure out what we should have hanging on this gigantic billboard in Times Square? For this particular project, they did come to me with an exact design, um, which for this, I, I really like translating like an image or, or into crochet that is very helpful and I do enjoy it. Um, so for this project, they had exactly what they wanted it to look like. Um, so the creative I wasn't a part of, but I would say more and more, maybe just because I've been doing it more, people trust me a lot more. Um, part of my process for sure with a lot of clients is sketching. Um, I use an iPad, I sketch things out for people. We work back and forth that way. Um, and then we figure out the design and then the crochet process begins. But for the billboard, it was all set and I just had to figure out how the heck to make a 20 foot beer bottle, not fall off a billboard in Times Square. (laughs) Yeah. So does that involve like you're crocheting or you have you have helpers too, but it's like a big flat almost like panel. And then do you just like loop it on on the edges or how do you get this billboard? I mean, because it can be pretty heavy if it's that big and it's yarn to actually make it not like sag if it rains. And I don't know, I'm worrying about all of the all of the things that can go wrong here. We, so for, yeah, this one, I actually, so I was living in New York at the time and there was a billboard company in Ohio where I needed to assemble it. So I like rented a minivan, loaded up all the crocheted pieces, drove out there and spent about a week assembling it. And we used, you know, stitch, we had like a big piece of vinyl as the backing. So we were able to stitch it on in different places and get it up that way. So yeah. And I wondered about like, just in general, that kind of lasting nature of yarn bombing? Because I feel like some people might say, well, you know, it's it's better than other forms of street art, like graffiti that you might do with a spray paint, you know, can or something like that, where it's permanent, it has to be scrubbed off, it's, you know, chemical paint, and this is something temporary. But then on the other side of it, I've definitely seen some yarn bombs that were well past their beauty in their life, you know, just like still stuck around a poor tree's bark and things like that. So I don't know, I'm sure you've put a lot of thought into this sort of um, the lasting aspect of yarn um, being wrapped around something. Absolutely. I mean, one of my, why I love yarn bombing in my neighborhood and in my community is because I can drive past it, check on it, um, and make sure that it is still looking good. I will, it doesn't happen that much. Usually people take them. Um, but it, if it is up and is not looking good, I have taken some down. Um, because yeah, I don't want to be adding anything that isn't adding beauty to a neighborhood. Um, also social media is great for being able to check on yarn bombs and, um, I will always run to their ready and take them down if they aren't looking good, um, or fix them. Um, and then in particular, when it comes to trees, I always take them down after about three months because that's kind of a good guarantee that you're not going to harm the tree. Um, none of mine have ever had this, but I wouldn't want any like insects to get infested in it and do any harm. Um, so I am very aware when I do put it on trees or on, on anything that's living. Yeah. And, um, I know like, you know, there was one yarn bombing that you were commissioned to do. I think it was in in Brooklyn. Um, and it was on the outside of like a, a flea market or something like that. And and the folks in the neighborhood didn't take it well. Like they, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, wow, this is so cool. It's beautiful. It's charming and different and adds so much to our, you know, landscape. But then in this cir- circumstance, although that was your intention, it just didn't it didn't go the way that you and maybe the person who commissioned you thought it might go. Yeah, this was probably one of the biggest learning experiences uh, throughout kind of my journey as a yarn bomber. Um, I was living in Bushwick, Brooklyn at the time, and there was a new flea market that opened up. And 
uh, they were doing a, a painted mural on one wall and there was this other wall that was there just empty. And I, I went in and I, I pitched myself. I was like, I would love to create a big mural for this wall. And they were all about it. And I ended up crocheting. It was the biggest piece I had done at the time. They were like 10 feet were humans like standing there. Um, and I found out that the flea market did not have permission for that wall. It was actually an apartment building not owned by them. And I had asked the wrong person and got caught in the middle. And obviously Bushwick is a very gentrifying neighborhood and the art I chose to put on the wall definitely was not, um, you know, the best choice. And um, I ended up taking it down right away when I found out that, you know, I did not have permission to put up art there. Um, it came down, but it was a couple weeks of definitely the really the only time I've had just people coming at me with with negativity about yarn bombing. And from that moment forward, I've always been very focused on making art for the community it's in, what I'm making, where I'm putting it and being much more thoughtful about it. But mm -hmm. that was a uh, big learning experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I, you were saying that for some clients, um, not Miller Lite, but for some clients, you, um, you do sketch on the iPad and present, um, you know, a, a, an idea to them, or maybe multiple ideas to them. And, you know, I, I wondered if you ever feel like a sense of imposter syndrome, because you're a classically trained dancer, um, but not a classically trained artist. And, and I'm not either. And I've definitely felt this before, when taking commissions and things like that, where um, you're like, you know, I, I didn't really learn how to sketch something for a client and make a presentation, a, an art presentation. It's, it's been a learning experience for sure. I mean, I think my first kind of like pitch deck, if you will, I literally cut inspiration photos off out of a magazine and like brought in a, a board of like, this is what I'm thinking. But um, they loved it. So I was like, Oh, okay. Um, but it is definitely been a learning experience there. And from working at Apple, the app I used to draw is paper 53. Um, I was like dabbling just for fun when there weren't any customers in the store drawing on the app. Um, when, when I was there. So like, I kind of had a go-to drawing app, um, to start with, but I to get past in the imposter syndrome. I mean, I still get in my head about that stuff today, but I always find like, just the act of like doing it and putting it together and making the like taking the time to at least do something is so much better than getting scared and and then kind of hiding away and not doing anything. So I find that people do appreciate at least the effort um, in doing so. And I've gotten pretty I've got a system down now, which which seems to work, but it's taken some time. And you've developed this crochet hook, which you have a patent for, which is super cool. It looks pretty like hefty, like it's it's a big hook, um, like for big chunky yarn or just big stitches, um, and it's not super long. It looks like almost like half a hook <laughs> when I saw it, at least. So, um, so tell us a little bit about the innovation of this hook and how you kind of came to create these various features that it has. I started actually thinking about the hook when I did the Miller Lite billboard project because I had always collected these really great big crochet hooks just kind of throughout my years of crocheting. And when I went and I needed like 20 big hooks to like give to the people helping me crochet, there weren't any good big hooks on the market. They were all very heavy. They were very big they weren't comfortable to work with. And I was like, I'm so sorry I'm giving you this hook, but like, that's what's there. So from that moment, I was like, okay, I can make a bigger crochet hook. And I took all my favorite features of the crochet hooks I had. Um, I shortened the stem to make it easier to hold. Um, I made the pointed tip to make it easier to go in and out of your loops. Um, I did it out of 3D printing um, just because it was lighter. So it's hollow on the inside. Um, so it's very light. Those big hooks can get very heavy and hurt your wrist more than the smaller ones. And then I added the twist just to make it more comfortable in the palm. So there were a few things that were really important to me. And I, I kind of took a lot of time 
uh, figuring it out. And now that twist I do have in, in smaller size hooks as well, but that bigger hook, it's the S hook, uh, USS hook, um, is 20 millimeters, um, is still my go-to. I mean, I use it every day. And so are these manufactured and are you still 3d printing them like one at a time or how are these on sale? So I still 3D print them and you can get them through my website that way. Um, but I actually licensed uh, the design to Lion Brand Yarn and they took that design and actually are manufacturing them as well. And you can get them in three sizes in a three pack through them. So that was a very exciting moment too to get to work with them and kind of see my hooks in like Joann's and Michael's and and different big box stores. Yeah, that's super cool. And you said earlier that the um, yarn bombs are often taken. And I think mm-hmm. maybe some people might be surprised to hear that. But, um, but it sounds like people just decide that they can cut them down and walk away with them. Yeah, I mean, I always tell myself people whoever takes it loves it so much, they can't live without it. Um, but it's, it's part of street art. It's changing all the time. Um, I don't want anything that's permanent there. I don't want to hurt, you know, like we were talking about the environment or permanent anything. Um, and also if they stay up too long, they may not still look good. So not that I'm encouraging people to take them. Um, but it, it doesn't stop me from making more. Um, there were a couple times like, uh, I crocheted, uh, 10 different looks, uh, from Vogue covers from 1910 to modern day and 10 girls wearing the actual outfits on the Vogue covers. And I hung them up on International Women's Day in Soho. And because I spent so long on them, I was like, okay, I'm going to give them one day. I'll hang them up in the morning. I'm going to come back in the evening and take them down and figure out like something to do with them. Um, and they must have been gone in like two hours. Every single girl, even my tag. And I was like, oh, this one breaks my heart. Um, you got to wonder if like, people. yeah, if like one person took them all or. They must have. They must. I, I think hopefully I'll find them on eBay one day. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. So, um, so so tell us about some other favorite collaborations. You've just done so many. You crocheted a car. You've done like all kinds of um and then driven that car like halfway across the country. And you've done all kinds of really cool collaborations that I think people would love to hear about. So maybe you can pick like a couple to tell us more about. Yeah, well, the car one was so fun. Um, I wrapped a car, entirely crocheted car. Um, it was a big, like a big car and um, drove it from Los Angeles to Florida. It was for the company Carvana. And, um, we had to go, we went on a road trip through all the cities that Carvana had. Um, and it was covered in wildflowers from the different States we were going through. And it was great that I, I kind of like pitched that, like I would be down to drive it and yarn bomb in every city we went to kind of selfishly to make sure that the crochet stayed looking perfect the entire time. Um, but they were for it and they actually were also all right with my sister being the one to come with me. And I would do a yarn bomb in every city. She would do stand up in every city. And it was so much fun. Like we went through uh, states. I We thought maybe like we would get into some, some people wouldn't be so pleased about a crochet car. But like we only got smiles. Like every single place we went, we were people were wanting to run and hug the car. By the time we got to Atlanta, I was like, maybe don't hug the car. This has been through a lot. Um, but we drove through rainstorms. We took that car all over and the crochet came out looking fabulous. Like I was so happy with that. And it was just such a unique project. Again, getting to use crochet to wrap a car, like is something I never would have thought, um, I would ever do, but, um, that one was a very, very exciting project. Um, (laughs) what other ones I always like, get get caught on this project or this question because I can never remember in the moment but um I've done there was an NBC show called uh The Village and one of the girls in the show she was a yarn bomber and I got to crochet different hearts um across the country again in different cities that they were premiering the show in which was very fun um I've done a job for Disney 
crochet for Mickey's 90th birthday, they had an interactive art museum and um, it was a really beautiful um, project to do. It was Mickey kind of like with this tornado of music notes and colorful spirals. And that was a really fun, huge project. Um, and they were really good to work with. That one we definitely worked in sketches for a very long time back and forth um, to make sure all the boxes were checked. Um, let's see, the Kelly Clarkson show we mentioned, um, I crocheted an entire room for them, a big like Kelly Clarkson step and repeat. Um, so everybody going to see the show, they walk through the crochet room before they get to their, uh, their seat inside to watch the show. I actually got to go on the show and teach her how to make some Halloween pom-poms, which was very fun. <laughs> so this all, all sorts of things. Yeah, so cool. I love all of these. And people can come to your site and, and take a look at your, you've got a really nicely laid out kind of portfolio of all of these really cool crochet um, installations and things and commissions that you've done. And, um, and you've also crocheted with like, really unusual materials like pizza dough, um, caution tape, toilet paper, um, socks over crocs. Uh, you crocheted underwater. I mean, you've like really pushed the limits here. Yeah, I think COVID really helped with that <laughs> pushing the limit thing. It gave me some time. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> to think, yeah. And then you have another aspect of your um, of your life too, your performance life. Because I, you know, I feel like these these are performances, right? In in a way, I mean, they're not the dance performance, but they are a performance of art in a public place. Um, but you were also a contestant on the Amazing Race, um, and actually um, did pretty well. So tell us about how that came to be, because that's like an unexpected twist here. It sure is. I like my whole life. I have loved the amazing race. And um, I was at a sushi restaurant. This is such an LA story. But I was at a sushi restaurant in, a, in Santa Monica, California. And Phil from the amazing race, the host walks in and I was with my parents and I was like, it's Phil and my dad to embarrass me. He's like, Hey, Phil, come over here. And um, he comes over to our table, we get to talking. And it's like, all right, your name's London, you crochet. And then I don't know what happened, but a couple weeks later through my website, I got an email. They were casting like an individual season of Amazing Race and recruiting people for it. And they asked me to make an audition tape. And I did. And I ended up getting cast on the show. I got paired up with someone I had never met before. He was a pharmaceutical salesman from Atlanta, Georgia. And um, we ended up doing pretty well. I don't want to like spoil it if anybody wants to watch season 29, but it was the experience of a lifetime. I mean, I got to go all over the world. Yeah. Tell us about some highlights. Oh, man. We got to go to South Korea, which was very cool. Vietnam. Um, I like rode a bike with shrimp traps in 120 degree weather. It was the hottest day of my life. Um, there were... Oh, in Tanzania to Zanzibar. Um, oh, this was like no good, but we had to like weave baskets. We had the option to like weave baskets or build a table. And I was like, I got, it was the classic reality show thing. I've got this, I'll weave baskets. I'm a crocheter, I can do it. And of course, uh, the nerves, they get to you, you know? So we ended up building a table. But. <laughs> <laughs> But it was great. It was and so many great people on the show. It was really cool. Yeah, uh, to get to meet everyone and see so many places. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you have aspirations to do something like that again? You know, I think if I'm on a reality show, that's probably the only one. <laughs> um, but if hey, if there's like a crochet competition show, I am there and I will try my best to win. <laughs> I would love to see a crochet competition show. We need to make that happen. Same. That sounds there's great. A, there's a new reality show about domino building, and they give them 16 hours. I was like, we could crochet a car in 16 hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah. If there's a domino building one, then there definitely needs to be a fiber one. That, that's ridiculous. I agree. Um, I agree. You made this incredible... 
um, I guess it's like a, a mural almost of Kamala Harris. And I, I wondered if you could tell us, did you have other helpers with that? I mean, it's absolutely giant. And, and it, was that a commission or how did that come to be? It's so beautiful. Oh, I'm so glad you asked about this. So this project holds like the biggest place in my heart. Um, it was at the end of 2020. Actually, ironically, the artist that I met, Olick, back at the Apple store so long ago, um, we've always been like oddly interconnected. And at the end of 2020, she reaches out to me um, asking if, if I want to talk and she had started this project called Love Across the USA, uh, celebrating great American women throughout history. And she had done a few large scale murals um, where they're community murals and people each crochet a square. And um, she, you know, she's from Poland and she was kind of interested in continuing her fiber art career in a different way and felt like I may be the right person to take this over. And coincidentally, I had been thinking at that time, like, I need to do more with my my crochet. That whole year was filled with so much, just so much going on. And I had always crocheted rainbows and butterflies. And I was like, I, I want a deeper purpose with my art. And um, so I, I enthusiastically said yes, and took this over and hit the ground running, um, announcing a mural, a 40 foot by 20 foot mural celebrating Kamala Harris to go up on International Women's Day in 2021. I needed 150 people to help. I put out the post on Instagram and within a few few days um, had more than enough crocheters on board. Um, and so I did up the design, broke it down into pattern pieces for each person. And what's really cool is um, it's open to beginners and advanced crocheters because there's solid color squares and then there's more complicated squares with more details of her face or letters. Um, so crocheters of all skills are welcome. Um, for this project, I had people use yarn from their stash because crocheters are notorious for having so much yarn at home. Um, so we kind of had a suggested color palette um, to pick yarn from. And everyone had about a month to crochet their square. I went to Washington, D.C., pieced it all together, and it ended up getting hung up um, at a beautiful building in D.C. and stayed up for about three months. Um, it was a Kamala Harris's face, a silhouette of her face, and the words, I'm speaking. And I definitely would love anybody listening who crochets um, to check out loveacrosstheusa.org. You can add your email to the list to be a part of future projects. Um, and right now, I'm actually right at the end of our next big project we're doing. Um, we're doing three different murals um, across the country um, in April for in support of peace in Ukraine. And the design was actually sketched by a 16-year-old Ukrainian boy who is currently living as, in a, as a refugee in Poland. And he came to us with this sketch and um, we are translating it into crochet. So one mural will be up in LA, one in um, right outside of Denver, and the other one going up right at Lake Michigan, overlooking the lake on a major highway. And I'm really excited. My my squares are over there. I'm ready to go. And um, more projects coming soon. So yeah. And what are some of the things you learn from? I mean, that's a very different project than doing something solo or even you know, working with people on site who can crochet and help you or people that you know, or fellow artists, people, whatever. This is really different where you've got people all over the country, they're strangers, they are pulling yarn from their stash, they have different skill levels. Um, you know, maybe some of them don't turn things in when the deadline comes, I'm imagining. I mean, there's a lot of different things that um, can go wrong or just um, skills, I'm sure that you developed around uh, sort of creating a community project like this. I wonder if there's some some things that you learned from that process, that first one with, with the Kamala Harris mural. Yeah, I think uh, having the customer service background at Apple um, really helped with this one because there is no issue that I am scared to address, I feel like. Um, if people come to me with problems or or things that they think are going to be a major problem, I know it can be handled and we can figure it out. So 
um, dealing with so many different people. They have a Google voice number that they can text work in progress photos. If they have questions, I start, I have, um, a Facebook group where people from the community can actually help each other, um, and share, uh, photos of successes, things they need help with. So having the other people in the community help. And then also I do a big zoom kickoff where everybody really gets to come together and feel like it's part of something larger than themselves. And, um, just the, everyone is so passionate about it that I mean, knock on wood, but people have follow through with this, um, to a two foot by two foot square to get it done in a month is not a crazy ask. Um, so I check in, I make sure they're on track and luckily that seems to have worked, but I am like available to help. It's not something I can just like send out and go away. Like I have to be proactive, but my heart is there. So it's easy. Yeah. I think having, um, that Google voice number, that's a great tip. And then, um, a, a community place like a Facebook group where people can, um, encourage each other, answer each other's questions, and also maybe feel a little bit of that pressure like, oh, she's finished and now she's making a second one and I haven't started. <laughs> like, maybe I should finish mine. Exactly. You know, that's all exactly. good. Yeah, that's all good stuff. So those are great tips for anybody who might be organizing like a, a broader community craft craft along or craft event of some sort like that. So um, so that's mm-hmm. cool. And I wanted to, to talk a little bit about your visual identity or your brand identity in general. So you, your, your logo, I guess, is, is this sort of big blue eye. Um, so, and you have blue eyes. So I wondered if, if that's why, or, or what's the logo, uh, origin? Yeah, well, oh, it's a sweet day to talk about this. Um, so my grandfather, he had very, very bright blue eyes and he actually passed away eight years ago today. Um, but yeah. And and uh, at that time, I just started yarn bombing. And after that happened, I decided to crochet beanies for everyone in my family with a big bright blue eye on it. And I gave them to them kind of just to remember him. And um, ever since then, that is kind of like the logo that that held on for me, I started putting it on things. And he was just such a special part of my life. And he never really got to see where where this all went. And um so for me, that's kind of, that's the connection with the eye. But what I love about using that is the logo is that so many people have their own kind of meaning uh, placed with that. There's so many ways to connect with that um, that I love that it can it kind of transcend more than just my own story and go beyond. Yeah. And K is your middle name. Is that right? So you don't use your last name yeah. as part of your brand. I wondered if there was a reason for that or did it just happen by accident or, or how did that happen? Um, it, My last name's O'Donnell. It has an apostrophe in it. It's a little hard to spell sometimes. Um, So London K is just always kind of what I've done. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just stuck. It just stuck that my way. My email. Yeah, my emails always like London K. It was just, even from when before I started all this, I would do London K. So yeah. yeah, I mean, in some ways, I feel like it's it's like a, the performance name or something like that, but maybe not. Right. I don't know. <laughs> that's how I was um, thinking about it, but um, that's super cool. So tell us. Um, I know you have this um, uh, Love Across America project to um, help with the relief effort in Ukraine. Are there other um, projects upcoming that are interesting that we should uh, look out for? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to Georgia Tech. Um, I'm doing a big mural there for their graduation. And I'm actually going to be working with students and teaching them how to crochet flowers to add their own flair to the mural. But it's very fun. It's right in front of me right now kind of a left brain right brain so bright and colorful on one side very technical on the other and then um two graduates in their crocheted gowns um celebrating so that will be fun to hang up and um I can't wait it'll be nice I mean throughout the last I don't even know how many years it's been but getting to go and do an in-person workshop again um is very very fun um i also have hosted for a very long time now since covid started a virtual vogue knitting live yeah um so yeah they do uh classes uh practically every month this is the first month they're taking off 
Um, but every month you can sign up for virtual classes in knitting, crochet, all sorts of fiber art. And um, I host the welcome party, which is a blast. Um, it's on Zoom. We do a make and model where people can come on and show what they've made. We play games, have fun, see what's going on in the knitting and craft news. And um, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful time. So yeah, I, would, I hope to see people there. <laughs> Any tips on hosting a Zoom party? Because like Zoom, I don't know, you kind of associate it as being like business tool, get on, have your meeting whatever, or maybe like go to a webinar, learn, take notes. But it's different when it's something social where people are coming to have fun. Oh, yeah. I find that having like a presentation, like slides, photos, video, content to share to make it more exciting and entertaining to switch up what they're looking at um, always goes really well. I love bringing in a guest for a quick interview um, we do like a little scavenger hunt so I can actually bring up participants throughout the show to kind of share things. So just like keeping it interesting. Also, like having my notes and script all all ready to go is very helpful. So preparation um, is good. <laughs> but yeah, those would be my tips. Okay, that's great. All right. And I want to make sure we get to your recommendations because you have some very good ones. Oh, yeah. Um, so oh, um, you um, you said right now, one of the things that you're enjoying is what you describe as a very relaxing website called Numorphic Knot. Oh, yeah, it is. This site where you get different patterns and shapes and you have to move them to create loops. And maybe it's connected to crochet in a little bit uh, because you're kind of, it's like a puzzle and you have to create loops and it gets harder as you go through each level. Um, but there's very soothing music that plays in the background. It's very relaxing. If you play Wordle, you can do this after. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think it connects in some way to like the knitting and crochet personality inside of me. Getting yeah. to untangle untangle things and make it into something whole. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And there's nothing more satisfying than that <laughs> untangling process. So, yeah. I so sad. I know. It's so satisfying. Frustrating and then satisfying. Um, and so you also wanted to recommend a new book by Cindy Adler called, is it 2020 Beyond Words? What is that about? Yes. So it's this amazing book. It is um, filled with street art throughout 2020 that different street artists made and oh. the words are not completely about the art it's more just like what America went through in that time but the photos of the street art mixed with that are so powerful and beautiful to see she has art from all over the world um and it has just been such a good read so it's also like my coffee table book because yeah. the, the pictures are stunning and the Kamala Harris mural is actually in it oh wow pretty cool congratulations <laughs> to you that is really cool yeah I'll have to check Thank that you. out I love things that document that pandemic year um that's really you know it, it really impacted everybody in the world so it's so interesting to see sort of the out artistic output that people created during that time um, and then you've gotten into flower arranging as well. I always think like in a different life, I would be a florist. I just, I love flowers so much. And so I live in uh, the arts district in downtown LA. It's right next to the big flower mart. Um, so I love going in the morning and picking out different flowers and I set up bouquets. Oh, wait, this isn't a video. I was about to show you mine right there. Um, pick out different bouquets and I arrange them around my art studio. And it's just such a, it just brings me so much joy. And I think having those little like touchstones of things outside of what you do as your job that, that can bring you happiness, like lighting a candle, baking your arrangements, having a cup of warm tea, like whatever you love, like really making that a part of your everyday life, I think is important to make time for. Well, London, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much, Abby. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Schiffer Craft. Schiffer Craft brings you the most important currents of inspiration and knowledge helping you and your audience find new directions in learning and making. 
Shiffercraft's goal is to help energize and expand the craft world so makers like you can continue to create in meaningful ways. Make sure to sign up on their website to receive exclusive offers on upcoming books, author insights, and news on upcoming events. Thank you so much, Shiffercraft. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.